Welcome to episode 29 of the Owl and Badger podcast. My name is Tim and I'm joined by my very good friend Helen. We are two Christians who are seeking to understand the world around us through a biblical worldview. We want to encourage our listeners to apply critical thinking to news and current events as we seek to live for Christ. Good evening, Helen. You doing all right? I am, thank you. Very well, thank you. You had a, a good day? Yeah, I've had a good day today. Even better day yesterday because I was helping my sister with her sheep and lots of little lambs. Oh, really? That was good. How, yeah. how, many, how many are there now? Oh, um, probably, oh, I expect there's more than 100 lambs now. Really? Really? 100? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, That's... I think so. And are they, are they mainly automatic in their arrival or, or do, they, do they need <laughs> some uh, coaxing? Yeah, sometimes a bit of coaxing. We helped a couple of them yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Sometimes there's a leg backwards or, oh. yeah, or their head's a bit stuck. <laughs> they need a little bit of help but uh, they were all good all alive all doing well well that's excellent that's excellent yeah well that's it's just in time for easter it's lovely seeing them all running about they are they are incredibly endearing animals our lambs so i can imagine that's that's a pretty amazing sight have you got any time off over easter um time off i don't really do time off don't really do time off no okay well, I suppose, yeah, um, I don't know what to say to that other than I suppose I've got a bit of time off. Um, but there we are. I, I do do time <laughs> off. So I quite like time off when 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 it becomes available. Anyway, we're not here to talk about um, how much time we have off from work or not, as the case may be. So this podcast, we, we are going to touch on um, some different subjects that have been cropping up in the news over the last couple of weeks or so and um yeah we just thought that this i mean there is as we said i think a number of times now there's so many things that are happening that it can be tricky to know which which to go for but there's been um well yeah we'll start off with politics shall we helen because we've got a new um first minister in scotland humza yusuf um and that was uh yeah that's that's quite a milestone i think isn't it yeah, it is. It was um, interesting. I didn't see lots of the uh, debates and hustings or whatever, but um, but I did see a bit of it. And the main players was Kate Forbes, wasn't mm. it? And Hamza Youssef. Yeah. Interesting, a, a Christian and a Muslim. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. And Kate Forbes, um, well, she's, she's stepped down. I think actually it sounds like the reality is that, that, that it's more likely, I think, the reality is that she's been effectively ousted from from office but um but yeah that that was she seemed like an interesting interesting possibility but what is certainly noticeable i think about this is that we now have a uh, professing muslim as a scottish first minister we have uh, a muslim as london mayor sadiq khan we have uh, a hindu prime minister in Rishi Sunak, and uh, to kind of round us off slightly, uh, we have a um, atheist Welsh first minister in Mark Drakeford. So I think uh, for those who might want to see this as a Christian nation, uh, we're, we're doing we're not doing so well in terms of leadership, shall we say? Uh, but I think that's quite we we've reached. Um, 
I don't know how to describe it. It's it's an interesting juncture we've come to, isn't it, I think? Yeah. Yes, it is. It's certainly a first. I think all of those are a first, aren't they? Yeah. Um Yeah. It's 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 a bit like I think we haven't well, it's it's okay to recognize that, that we are it is a post-Christian nation that we now live in. And um I think to to expect a professing christian as as a leader is well is possibly unrealistic isn't it really helen but even if we did have a professing leader as, as say a prime minister or if you're in scotland as a first minister it doesn't necessarily mean that the trajectory is going to change um because as we've discussed many times before on this podcast it doesn't really make a great deal of difference in terms of uh, trajectory as to who is in the uh, in the driving seat but i think it's worth mentioning about this particular um development because it, again it highlights real inconsistency so for example humza yusaf uh, put out on twitter he said uh, my he put out a photo showing him um in Butte House, and he said this, my family and I spending our first night in Butte House after today's parliamentary vote. A special moment, leading my family in prayer in Butte House is a customary, is customary, sorry, after breaking fast together, because of course it was Ramadan. Now, can you imagine a Christian first minister talking about prayer in the same way, Helen, and putting it, putting a photo out on Twitter? Maybe, I don't know, saying grace around the dinner table or or perhaps leading um other christian colleagues fellow politicians in a prayer meeting can you imagine that well it it would be lovely to think that if kate forbes had um become first minister that maybe she'd have put out a photo of her having a prayer meeting in butte house but i i very much doubt that would happen and if it did happen Oh my goodness, can you imagine? I think there would be a huge amount of pushback. Oh, it'd be it'd be enormous, wouldn't it? It'd be enormous. And that was one of the interesting things that they never tackled um um Humza Yousaf on on his, you know, Islamic beliefs in terms of homosexuality, for example, as they did Kate Forbes. And so this again just highlights really lifting the lid as to the duplicity and and corruption. In our, in our media, um, but yeah, I mean, it it, it carries on really because we, we, we look at uh, London Mayor uh, Sadiq Khan um, at the start of uh, Christian Holy Week, if you like, the, 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 which begins normally with uh, Palm Sunday. That that weekend, Sadiq Khan put out put out a tweet. And uh, he just said, uh, Eid in the square is back. Join us in Trafalgar Square on the 29th of April to mark the end of the holy month of Ramadan. We'll have delicious food, fantastic performance and arts activities for all the family. Everyone is welcome. Now, you could argue, well, there's, there's, there's not much wrong with that. But that was, that was put out the weekend of the start of Christian Holy Week. There was no mention from Sadiq Khan at all about Palm Sunday, for example. Uh, and again, it just it just highlights the state of of the nation, I think. And it, it, we talk a lot about multiculturalism. Well, I'm not I'm not seeing a great deal of that at the moment. Are you, Helen? Well, no, I don't really know what that 
term means actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what does that term um, mean? It's a bit. It's yeah. a kind of I- ideal that no one can really pin down. I, I don't know what it means, but I think um, I think the mistake people make. I think a lot of people think, oh well, you know, it's good to to maybe not be a Christian country anymore, or to just mm. keep religion out of everything. Mm. But the mistake they make is there's no such thing as spiritually neutral no no there's there no there's not going to be a secular spiritually neutral country or government or, or anything that just doesn't doesn't make any sense when no. you're a christian you un, you should understand that that you know there's a spiritual significance in in everything that goes on so it, there, there is and and it's I think in some Christians there there is a a reluctance or even a surprise actually sometimes when you say when you say to them oh we we live in a post Christian culture they look at you as if you've just you've just told them that you know grass is yellow or blue or something they can't think what you're on about is it of course we're not in a post Christian culture but but that that's the reality we are and I think there is a there is an encouragement here. If you're a believer and you're listening to this, in, is that actually the def- the default position for a follower of Christ is to is to um, is if you like to be be on the margins is is to be set apart is to be uh, as as we read in Scripture, you know, alien and a stranger in the world. We don't necessarily fit in easily, and um, that's okay. As long as we are making sure that we stick stick close to Christ, but I think what this kind of says in terms of you know politics, and that's just one section of our culture that we could comment on, is that we have very clearly moved away from this really false notion, I suppose, of of being a Christian country. I mean, maybe at, maybe at one time it, it could have been legitimate to say that this was a Christian nation. I'm not sure when exactly I'd say that would be. Do you have an opinion on that, Helen? No, not uh, not really in terms of when, you know, where the cut-off point might have been. Um, yeah. Because nothing's, nothing's perfect, you know. You're not no, gonna, <laughs> no. Not going to arrive at... But there's probably, I think there's been, there's been a change over time, hasn't there? And there that's has, been yeah. over decades, decades now. So, you know, things like, um, you know, the majority of people going to church on a Sunday, um, the teaching of children in schools, teaching mm. of um, Christianity in schools. So, you know, lots of people who are older than we are learnt you know, they remember scripture classes in school. They mm. learned about um, stories in the Bible. They learned to say the Lord's Prayer, even when we did at school. I mean, I certainly did at school. And I know that it's very unusual now for children to learn things like the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, yeah. Someone was saying to me the other day, um, and I was having a think about it, that w- one of the big issues, I think, is that Jesus is not... Is not taught about in history, so he's a historical figure. Mm. There's there's more evidence for around the life of Jesus than almost any other historical figure at that time or around that time, and yet it's not taught to children in history. It's just pushed into, if at all, into 
um, religious education as if it's a take it or leave it. Well, it might be real, might not be. Yeah. That's just one example. Yes, yeah. And, and it's like, almost like kind of putting it into almost a fable cat category or something like that. Um, yeah, that's a very good. That's a very good point. And and it's and all these changes they do happen relatively slowly over a long period of time. Yeah. And and we, we will always be, I think, blessed with astute, switched-on Christians who warn us early on about what's happening. And and I think we we have. Christians who are warning us today of things that are happening and we do need to pay attention um, because it's you, you either heed a warning or you ignore it at your peril and and I think we've seen so many different um, uh, ways that our, that our culture has declined significantly uh, because um, Christianity has been been moved to the sidelines um, but as we said earlier, often you know that that's when when you have uh, when you have a persecuted church, actually you have a thriving church. That's the that's the the, the irony. Um, David Paulson, the the late David Paulson. If you've not heard of him, he's an exceptionally sound Bible teacher. I think he died in twenty twenty one. I think I might be wrong about that. I think I think it was twenty twenty one. Um, really, if you get if you've got any of his books on the bookshelf, do dust them off and have a read. He's he's fantastic. But he uh, wrote uh, one of his many books is is called The Challenge of Islam to Christians. And and the challenge of Islam to Christians is, um, in many ways, seen as Dave, one of David Paulson's most important and most controversial pro- prophetic messages that he he wrote. Uh, and it, it talks about the moral decline and erosion. Um, of a sense of ultimate truth has created a spiritual vacuum in the United Kingdom, which is what we've seen, isn't it, Helen? And David Paulson outlines in the book, he he says he he believes that Islam is far better equipped than the church to move into that gap that has been created and it will not take long before it becomes the country's dominant religion. Now, you know, time will tell on on the, on that one, um, but it certainly seems like with the politician in the politician space, Christianity certainly is not the the dominant religion, if you like, in terms of um, uh, in terms of leadership, in terms of who's visible at the top. Um, of course, there are Christian politicians. Of course, there are, but in terms of actual visibility to the general public, much less so now. Do you have any thoughts on that one, Helen? Well, no. I mean, what you're saying is 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 absolutely true. Um, I think Islam, in particular, it, it's very interesting. I think they uh, there's several things that they do very well, um, mm. and one of them is is to not be ashamed of what they believe and to yes. to. Actually, I think Hamza is a bit of an exception because I'm not quite sure what he does believe. Um, <laughs> although, you know, maybe he seems to say he keeps his beliefs away from his politics, but then... Well, clear, um, clearly not with a, a picture <laughs> like that on Twitter. No, but, yeah. and then it immediately he gets in. He He's there in his, his Islamic dress, and um, which I don't think many people will have seen him in before. <laughs> no, um, no. Well, it certainly wasn't um, a traditional Scottish... Uh, attire was it let's no, put it that way no but he 
but generally, you know, Muslims are very clear on what they believe and what they believe is wrong. Um, so that would include homosexuality. I think they would be very clear on um, issues like gender ideology, on abortion. Um, but they're not. They're, the difference is they're not. They're not afraid to say, "Well, that's wrong." No. And that's how it is. No, they're not. And and you 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 won't. You, well, you'll be hard pressed to find um, pushback against that in the in the mainstream media mm. um yeah what what about justin welby do you want to take us through this as well because this is this is linked to this and and he he never ceases to amaze in the wrong ways does this man yeah, <laughs> yeah so justin has been hosting an iftar meal at lambeth palace which is um i think that's the traditional <laughs> that's, meal that's what he should be doing for, isn't he is a, is yeah, a, the of head course. of the young king uh, well the church of england yeah <laughs> yeah so he was hosting a meal to break the fast of um, for Ramadan um, in Lambeth Palace. And I think this has spiritual significance. Mm, yes, definitely. Um, I, don't, I don't really understand why he was doing it. Um, you know, will we, would we see Muslims celebrating Passover or Easter? I doubt it. Um, and w- what I don't understand is... Is it unreasonable to expect the Archbishop of Canterbury to focus exclusively and passionately on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And and I was thinking, you know, that should be forsaking all others. I was thinking of the words, you know, used in the marriage service, Mm. um, which are words of fidelity, aren't they? That's his job, surely. And he shouldn't have to apologise for that. No. And, and to lead clearly on the biblical standards of morality and ethics and belief. That's his job. And I would think that most people would expect him to do that. I don't think they're expecting him to host iftar meals or um, services in cathedrals. I, I, you know, if there's a difference between having friendships and dialogues with leaders of other mm, faiths yes. is absolutely fine yes. with care. Yeah. But getting involved in their religious festivals and inviting them into Christian sacred spaces for iftar meals and so on is bringing idolatry right into the church. I think. Oh, I think that's I th- what it's doing. I, th- I think I think you're you're spot on there. Um, I, I I have to be honest. I'm not sure what Justin Welby does stand for in in relation to actually gospel truth. Um, uh, I I don't know how he actually really promotes the cross of Christ genuinely. Um, but then that seems to be, sadly, the case with figureheads in established church. Um, and again, it shouldn't be that way, but it appears that it is. Um, so, yeah, what do you do with that one? Um, where do you go from there? I don't know. Um, I think I think you can. I think you can tie yourself in knots, and insofar as you can go down that whole route of thinking, well, he, he, you know, in the case of Justin Welby, he's got this right and he's got that right. He stands for these good causes and he speaks out about this. So therefore, we'll cut him a bit of slack, and we'll, you know, we'll we'll allow for these. Um, gross doctrinal mistakes but why why do you do that because there's plenty of of church 
leaders, if you like, or plenty of um, men who will stand up for truth and sound doctrine and not compromise in the same way. So, so there's no need to follow after somebody like Justin Welby. There is no need to do that. So if there's no need to do it, why do you do it? And, and I think this is, this is the question that needs to be answered. And I think some people would say, well, he, he keeps us all together. But that, that patently doesn't happen. The, the Church of England is, is, is hemorrhaging, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think there's more division than ever. And I yeah. think that's, that's been under his leadership. And because of the, um, the way he has um, not stood up for the truth. Yeah. And and the, and and it's the it's the inevitable, sadly. So um, I don't I, honestly, I don't know quite where you go from that, other than to say, well, you know, there are there are good men to listen to and to take um, spiritual advice from, and go and listen to and take advice from those men instead is what I would say. Keep it keep it fairly simple. Uh, right. Oh, let's let's should we move on? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to um, somebody who who is going to crop up a couple of times in our podcast. Um, you probably would say sadly, Helen, wouldn't you? But Jacinda Ardern, um, the former New Zealand uh, Prime Minister, who stepped down, I believe it was February in February, early February, wasn't it? And she's she cited. That uh, amongst you know other things, I think one of her the quotes was no longer had enough in the tank, and that elicited a an outpouring of sympathy from from world leaders and and people you know making all sorts of uh, well meaning but uh, um, ultimately um, hollow uh, comments about that. But she's she's certainly made a, a reasonably fast recovery because she's she's now popped up as a trustee for Prince William's Earthshot charity. And uh, a quote says this, her commitment to sustainable development, oh, we've got that phrase there, Helen, haven't we? And climate action as Prime Minister of New Zealand strongly align with the optimistic ambition of the Earthshot Prize and its efforts to protect and restore our planet by 2030. <laughs> I've got to laugh because, the, and its efforts to protect and restore our planet by 2030. Well, that's what, seven years away? Mm. Just less than seven, well, six and a half years away? So... I think what they mean to say there is, and its efforts to instill um, their tyranny by 2030, um, perhaps would be more accurate. Uh, but yeah, um, I think what we what we see here is that um, sadly, um, there's a, if you like, a World Economic Forum stoogism which is alive and well. Um, because she is one of their their favourite people. Um, and this is what Jacinda Ardern says about this new role that she has. She says, I am humbled and excited to be working with the Earthshot team. Since, since its inception, I've believed Earthshot's power to encourage and spread not only the innovation we desperately need, but also optimism. Solutions are within our, we our reach if we invest, support and accelerate them globally. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> so they're looking to accelerate global solutions. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Well, this is um, this is where you know you kind of think, well, 
politics at this level is is essentially a, a club of of power, I think, um, where people move from one similar role into another, and sadly, they keep these people keep cropping up. What what are your thoughts on yeah. this, Helen? Do you have any thoughts on this one particularly? Well, I do. I do. I um I know that she's very pally with Prince William. Mm. Um, uh, so I'm not that surprised. But to be honest, I didn't know much about this Earthshot um, operation. And I had a little look. Um, it, it's interesting. If you look at all their, uh, I can't remember the terms they use, but their sponsors or their um, organisations that are funding their work, that are giving their support to it, it's all the usual suspects, all the big money companies mm. um, and trust funds and, and everything. Um, so no surprise there. I had a look at one of their videos and, and like you say, you know, this is all everything they're going to transform by 2030. It's this whole, you know, net zero agenda again. Um, but the video was quite striking, I thought. It was full of high tech um high-tech stuff, a, a sort of vision of what life is going to be like. And I thought, well, if that's what life is going to be like, I'm not looking forward to it. I mean, things like great big greenhouses of food production looking very regimented with people in white coats, you know, <laughs> not farmers in fields. <laughs> no. um, so that's presumably the food production and then uh, rows and uh, eight, uh, massive amounts of solar panels covering vast areas. And then they had rows and rows and rows of wind turbines. Um, and then in between this sort of shots of the natural world, the polar bears that we're going to be saving by doing all this and everything. Oh, it's, it's worth uh, it for the polar bears, isn't it? It's worth it for the yeah. polar bears. Yeah, The polar bears who apparently are doing very well, actually. Mm, yeah, but don't talk um, about that, Helen. You mustn't no, say no. that. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, yeah it, it 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 but th this is I mean th this is like I suppose you know if you if you if you if you're new to this podcast and you're thinking good grief what term and Helen talking about isn't this conspiracy theory stuff well no it isn't actually and if you don't believe us go and listen to our previous podcast where we tackle that very subject this is about looking at things in a in a big picture and um, observing where people come from and where they move to. And uh, what you tend to find is is that they move in very narrow circles, and these very narrow circles are essentially a, a global elite, and they have this intense desire, it would seem, to interfere with our lives and interfere with how we live. And uh, nobody I know has been asking for this. Nobody I know has been asking for low traffic neighbourhoods. Nobody I know has been asking for 15-minute cities, for example. Nobody I know has been asking for net zero, even, which is just a ridiculously stupid idea. Um, but uh, these are what these people do. Uh, but we'll come back to Ardern, because um, she doesn't speak truth, and um, she can't be trusted. But uh, there we go. And Nothing else to say on that one? Should we move on? No, yeah. Oh, well, actually, just one thing came oh, to mind. Um, <laughs> when you say about these people moving in their circles, apparently uh, Nicola Sturgeon, it's been talked about, she might 
might land some big job in the WHO, possibly. Oh, really? Although our husband has just got arrested, hasn't he? So Yeah, I don't know what that's that, about. That's that always a bit of a strange one, isn't it? The apple cart. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, just look at look at Tony Blair. You know, look at the stuff that Tony Blair is talking about. Tony Blair openly talks about um, digital ID um, and making sure that everybody's tied into that. And he's very. He's, this isn't. You know, this is not made up stuff. It's all. It's all out there. He's he's a he's a really hardcore proponent of all this stuff. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this, they they in, they inhabit a completely different worldview. I think. It's safe to say, but certainly as, as a follower of Christ, um, we don't lose hope because we know that Jesus is coming back. We know that ultimately he's going to um, come back in power and glory and uh, rule and do it how it should be done, uh, which is going to be amazing. But before then, we have got a, a few trials to get through. I think it's probably fair to say. But shall we move on to um, the whole transgender issue because there's been quite a lot in the news recently hasn't there i mean we've seen um well uh, frankly instances of of violence um in this what what some would call a trans movement uh, we've had a shooting in america we've had police standing by in canada whilst a member of the public is openly assaulted and the police don't do anything uh, we've had crowd violence against a single woman in Australia. Uh, I think you know you could be could be forgiven for thinking the world has gone mad, but um, I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna try a new thing now. We're gonna hopefully this technology works. But I'm gonna play a clip, and uh, this clip is of the new prime minister in New Zealand. So when you listen to him, you think, hmm, okay. <laughs> Sure, things have improved. Um, when he's he's asked a fairly a fairly simple question, so just just have a listen to this. Sean, um, I just wanted to ask you, uh, given comments by Keir Starmer in Britain, how do you and how does this government define a woman? Um, I, to be honest, Sean, that's, that, that question's come slightly out of left field for, for me. Um, the, well, biology, sex, gender, um, people define themselves, people define their own genders. Keir Starmer has said that he believes 99.9% .9 of women do not have penises. And I know it's a strange thing for him to say, but given recent events in New Zealand, I'd ask again, how do you define what a woman is? Well, as I've, I, I think as I've just indicated, I wasn't expecting that question, so it's not something that I've, um, you know, formulated, pre-formulated an answer on. But um, in terms of gender identity, I think people define their gender identity for themselves. Sean. Wow. So oh, that's painful. That that <laughs> that that was uh, that was that was absolutely painful so it's a very simple question what is a woman the thing is is that if somebody can't tell you what a woman is how on earth are they supposed to know what a transgender woman is for example how do you how do you how do you answer that um but show let, let's let's just keep this thread going a minute because we've we've 
this has been off off the back, and some of you may listening to this may have, have seen this in the news. Um, somebody called uh, Kelly J. Keane, who also goes by the by the name Posey Parker, was she was due to speak at a rally. Now I've, I'm thinking it's in Australia. Was it in Australia? Was it New Zealand? It's, it's down under, definitely. Whichever it is, I, I thought it was Australia, Ooh. but she was going to speak in. I should have double checked that, and I, I didn't. Yeah, I um, thought it was Australia. Anyway, it, it doesn't matter exactly where it is. It was in, I think it was Australia, but anyway. Uh, and she was, um, well, it, she was basically, when you watch the video, she was rounded on. And I think, certainly watching the videos, there was crowds around her, shouting at her, uh, verbally abusing her. I think it's quite possibly they would have, killed her had they been able to oh it looked like a lynch mob it did look like a lynch mob it did look like a lynch mob uh anyway i'm sure some of you will be busy googling uh who she is and of course if you're using um uh google for example you'll you'll come up with uh wikipedia or wikipedia as it should be known and uh she she will be listed on there and what you'll what you'll read is that she is an anti-trans rights activists now um i think that's that again just shows you the angle that media wants you to believe with this um i I think it's probably fairer to quite fairer to say that she's anti-trans ideology activist um that'd be more accurate and and interestingly they they credit in wikipedia it credits her this this is like i can't believe that somebody's actually written this but they credited she's been credited Okay, in Wikipedia, for popularising the term adult human female to define a woman, right? No. Yes, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. She, Outrageous. So she's been, Posey Parker or Kelly J. Keene has been credited in Wikipedia for popularising, so popularism, of course, that's a bad thing, uh, yeah. the, the term adult human female, in quotes, to define a woman. It's a good job. I kept my Oxford English Pocket Dictionary, which I was given at school in 1988. All right, because I just happened to look up the word "woman" in there. Do you have it? I'll give you a guess of what it says for the definition oh, of "woman." What, in, what do you think say. it might say in there, Helen? What it might say? Oh, it's a tricky one. This um, because yeah, bearing in mind, if... Posey Parker clearly like is being credited with this. So, hmm. what this really new terminology? Yeah, this really new term. Yeah, yeah. do you know? Yeah, so, so it's funny, you see, because in the Oxford English Dictionary course, it says a woman is adult human <laughs> female. So this is the kind, look, this is what we're this is illustrating here is the, 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 the sheer amount of bile and nonsense that we have to wade through in order to actually discern truth and see what's really going on. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just, if you take what's happened to her and she's standing up for, for women's rights isn't she? And yeah. you take a, a somebody like Chris Hipkins, who cannot give a very simple definition of what, what is a woman. No, and, it's, and of course, it's, it's complaining bonkers. that he hasn't, he hasn't been... Well, he hasn't <laughs> been prepped. I haven't, he been, hasn't been, I haven't been prepped. What's, what's a woman? Oh, my goodness me. I haven't... haven't where's, where's my aid with the help for that really difficult question? <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, he doesn't want he doesn't want to say what's true because he doesn't want to get himself in 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 trouble. And this is the age we live in. This is a post truth world where people cannot say what is true for fear of of being um, 
figuratively speaking, lynched on Twitter or social media or, or in, in mainstream news. Um, and I think what this says about Western culture is it's just broken, basically. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Helen? Well, I, it, it is. It's insanity, isn't it? Um, I mean, just to, to hear that man trying to... Well, he doesn't even try and define a woman, does he? He just... He basically is saying... Well, it can be a woman can be whatever whatever you want it to be. But interestingly, this 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 discussion isn't coming up around what is a man, is it? It's, no. It's always about what is a woman because there's, that is there's not yeah. there aren't very many people who are self-identifying as a man. It's generally it's men who are saying I am going to identify as a woman. That's generally what yeah, the but. Yes, you're you're right, but I do wonder on that one because because the men have been under attack for a long time. So the 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 the, the word man is is I'm a man. If you say I'm a man, you know, or be manly, or that's masculine, you Toxic know, sick masculinity. Oh, yeah, I mean, grief. Mm. Yeah, people. Yeah, don't get me started on that one. But yeah, it's it's. That's been under attack for a long time. I remember, you know, when I was at um, when I when I was a student at university, you didn't have men; you had blokes. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, he's a nice bloke. You know, always think of Bill Bailey, blokey, blokey, bloke, bloke, bloke. You know that, that it was it was it was like well, I don't and the, and the and the thinking was, and it's incredibly subtle. The thinking was, oh, you don't want to be a man because that's a bit, you know. That's, that that gives you know you maybe you know you're carrying too much responsibility there, but a bloke is like a kind of it's like a man light you know it's it's an acceptable man so and that that was certainly I mean what I picked up on as 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 the downfall I mean it probably started before that but I would have been too young to clock it but. Do you, do you remember that? And, and I think I think we've seen this gradual erosion of manhood. So so the attack on women is very much blunter. It's like Sunday's like here, whereas the attack on manhood has been very subtle over a long period of time. And we've seen it in films. You watch, you see it in adverts. It happens everywhere now that the man or the male, if you like, because we don't have men, do we, Helen? The male is the butt of the jokes now. Now, now, I'm not suggesting that it should be the woman at the butt of the joke. I'm not suggesting that, but you, you could you could have either or. But but generally, the man is the one who's now made to look stupid, you know, in a film or in in a comedy sketch, or or not, or made to look like the one who is incapable or incompetent. And so, I think it's a really interesting point you make. But I think the attack, the style of attack, has been quite different. It's very much. It's more, in, in a sense, it feels much more violent against women, actually. Yeah, but then, then it makes sense though for for the one to come before the other. So, the attack on masculinity mm. and on um, men, you know, if you if you if you push men down into being weak, um, and and. Then they're not going to be in a position to protect the women. No, no. So, you know, that's what men should be doing now. They should be protecting the women and saying this is wrong, and it's got to stop. But yeah. they, but they're not doing that, and that's probably f for that reason. I think yeah. you've got, yeah, you've yeah, got the right. two things happening, and and almost from both ends, you've got the attack on masculinity and men, and then the attack on 
women coming and 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 it, it's left this crazy situation where well, I don't know. It's just a complete mess, isn't it? It it it's, it it is it is a complete mess. And I and I think again in the church we have been, we have uh, we've contributed to this uh, unintentionally, but I think we have. And and I'm and I'm gonna I'm I don't want I, I'm gonna tread a little carefully here because this this isn't it's not subject I'm afraid to talk about at all. But it's not something I want to get into now. But but I think there has been an erosion in the church of biblical masculinity. I think I think a yeah. lot of what a man is called to do in the church, biblically speaking, has been undermined, and we see that in churches, and and we see now um, the fallout from that. We see the kind of the, the the erosion of sound doctrine, for example, which I think largely has been biblically given to men to uphold, and they haven't. And we've, you know, we've seen that now manifest itself in so many different ways. So I think there is, it's, this isn't saying, we're not saying that to be everything about being a man is right. I'm not saying that at all. Um, just the same, same we say, not everything about being a woman necessarily is right. But, but men and women are different and they have specific roles and they complement one another and have equal worth and standing before God, which is amazing. Um, and I think as a church, we, we should be seeking hard after what does it mean to be a godly man? What does it mean to be a godly woman? How does that work? Yeah. How does that look? Rather than allowing what the world tells us men and women should be. Because that's a lot of churches do that. A lot of church, you'll you, you'll even hear, you know, the phrase "toxic masculinity" from the front of a church. I mean, I, I you know, it, it makes me so cross if I hear, particularly a church leader, spout that one out because mm. they they the the so far off the path at that point, and they should know better. Um, but anyway, we could we 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 yeah. Shall we? Shall we move on? Because we'll, I don't want to take us too far down yeah, down, a, yeah, I mean, down a tangent there. Because it, it, no, we could do a whole podcast. We on could. That, we, we probably should because I think that would be interesting <laughs> at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, in terms in terms of um, in terms of trajectory with the whole transgender thing, where does where does it take us? I mean, we've had a. This was in the news yesterday. I think it was a transgender pastor. Um, Sounds a bit like an oxymoron to me. From North Dakota has in America has, has compared the treatments of the Nashville shooter, Audrey Hale. Uh, that was a, that was the person who went into the sh that school um, a week or so ago, um, killing a, um, some people. It's awful. Uh, to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, uh, and this was less than a week after this this killer, Audrey Hale, murdered six people, um, including three nine year old children. And this uh, pastor, Micah Luigi, I think, who goes by they, them pronouns, uh, was recently installed as a pastor of St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Fargo and delivered their first Easter-themed sermon. I mean, it, that that perhaps is an example of where this trajectory, well, maybe not ends, but is is a few stops down the line before the end. It's pretty pretty awful, isn't it? Um mm. 
But yeah, I think we we can see here that nothing is off the table. But but do you want to take us into this whole drag queen thing, Helen? Oh Not yeah, literally. I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, drag drag queens. Well, we've heard of drag queen story hour, haven't we? Yeah. Increasingly, seems to be be the thing in libraries, in schools. Increasingly, um, the question some people are asking is why do they want to read stories to children dressed as they are in such a sexually provocative way? Yeah. That'd why be a, are people, be a safeguarding why, issue, wouldn't it? Well, you would think so. Why are teachers and parents not asking that question? I mean, I think there are plenty who are asking that question, but there are many, apparently, who who seem to be very happy with this idea. Um I saw um, a drag queen actually on Instagram who who was um, he was all made up in his drag um, you know hair and makeup and everything, but he was asking why would you want to expose your children to this? And he was explaining what drag is, and he said why would you want them? And you know he's one of them, but you know I'm presuming he's not offering to read story time to the children he's saying why would you want them reading to your children why do you admire them so much for what for Mm. putting on makeup and Mm. doing sexual things on stage Mm. would you he said would you want a stripper or porn star influencing your child (laughs) so why do you want a drag performer influencing your child he said there's lots of filth and sexual stuff and nudity and drugs um because they perform to adults in clubs. Yeah. And he was, you know, explaining what, what the reality of that is. Why would you want this influencing your children? And I thought, good for you. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they would listen to him because he's saying it from within. It, it, it's, it, it is, it, it's almost, it's almost like this is a category which you wouldn't expect to have to deal with in life, would you? You, no. you, 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 you would perhaps accept. Okay, you know, Pat, this this kind of thing goes on in places which you wouldn't go to if you chose to go to that place. Well, that's up to you. But you would, you, you know, that it's not going to encroach on everyday life like this is. Um, and those, those are those are legitimate and the totally right questions to be asking and I think what we're seeing sadly is that is a move towards paedophilia basically legitimizing that um what what, I think you heard the term you know minor sex attracted to Mm. to reframe that take take away the you know removing it from the term paedophile but it's still the same thing and in terms of trajectory, this is this is where it's going towards, and and certainly as as Christians, we, um, I think we first of all we need to be clear about what's right and wrong here. That's the first thing, but secondly, we need to be we need to be praying for, about this. We need to be praying for God's wisdom. We need to be praying to know when to speak up and how to speak up and and for courage when we need courage and i think that's important we should be doing this and and perhaps you know we should be 
churches perhaps should be equipped, not on a Sunday morning, probably, because that's probably not the best place to do it, but but certainly equipped to think about this. I mean, you know, take, for example, do you, do you remember Blind Date with Scylla Black? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that was kind of, you know, the idea that it would be sort of a bit kind of racy wouldn't it if, if somebody had a somebody took you know she got the couples back off their holiday and they maybe said oh we had a kiss or something like that i think oh you know and so would be talking about buying it should buying i buy a hat, hat. For a wedding. Yeah, yeah yeah and that was okay that that was when that was in the 80s wasn't it in the 80s maybe early 90s yeah but um but but now we've reached the point in this country, in the United Kingdom, where on Channel 4 at 8pm, unless that's changed since um, recording this, we we have um, a programme about um, normalising bodies and in, it's, it's, it's titled a groundbreaking new series called Naked Education, where essentially parents make themselves naked in front of their children i mean it's just it's just shocking and going back to uh, posy parker or kelly j keen she said on this she said pedophilia and erasing children's boundaries isn't groundbreaking it's child abuse and that's what this is and that's what we're seeing on our televisions now um and it's it, it, so when we talk about sadly when we talk about a post-christian nation this is i'm afraid the evidence of that but it's also a reminder as we are fond of saying that jesus is going to come back he is coming back and you know things will get worse before they get better but we don't lose we don't lose hope and even though we see these pretty awful things happen any anything else you want to say on that one, Helen? Well, just that I think um, you know this trajectory, as we often say, it, it's um, it's probably going to get worse. Uh, I, I saw there are drag holiday camps for children. I think in America, and really? there are plans to start them here. Apparently, um, it. You know, the the target is children. Mm. This is about sexualizing children and mm. it's about blurring the boundaries. And, you know, I'm not saying that every drag queen is a paedophile, but it's going to make paedophilia easier. It's going to normalize it's, it, yeah. And and, and even, no e- e- even if it doesn't, there's still something inherently wrong with the whole it's drag queen movement yeah. anyway. So, you know, it, it, yeah. And, and it's, I, one thing, it's one thing what people want to do you know, in an adult club, that's one thing. But what happens in front of children, any children, is a whole nother ball game. Mm. But even more so when parents don't even know about it. Mm. Yeah. You know, in yeah. schools yeah. or in yeah. public places. It's- yeah, and, and and again, you know, this is this is another rabbit hole we could go down. But if you if you're listening to this and you've got children, you've got teenage children, and they've got a smartphone, unless you're, you know, pretty much on it and super strict, or don't give them one at all, which is the best option, um, you you're fighting a tough battle. It's a tough gig 
to, to battle against the various avenues and means by which our culture can get through to our young people. And that's before, of course, we even talk about school and the indoctrination, which we've touched on many times uh, in these series of podcasts we've done that happen in the school day. Um, so bringing this back to the church, this is why we passionately believe that it's important for the church to be equipping believers, followers of Jesus, to understand where the challenges are and how to respond to them. And the church really does need to be a place where people are on the same page. We've, And very often we're not. We're, we're, we're all over the show. We're all over the place. And... Um, I think that's wrapped up again, going back to actually, it's going back to this whole issue of masculinity and and the difference between men and women and who's called to do what. And yeah, but but that's a that's a whole um, whole another series of podcasts probably. Anyway, should we talk about the Dutch farmers? Because this is we're we're we're, cha- we're moving we're crossing all sorts of uh, topics here in this podcast and we've, we've got to speed up Helen because we say we do an hour we have, we've got, yeah. we're, we're reaching the hour point here so we're going to have to crack on um, right yeah do you want to talk about the D- Dutch farmers because I see the word farmer and I look at you and I think farmer so you're going to immediately know everything there's to know about this so so go for it well no I, I think I think we've talked about it before I'm, I'm yeah we sure have we have we? touched on it so, yeah yeah there have been protests. Um, the Dutch farmers have been protesting for quite some time now. There mm. were big protests back in the summer, uh, hardly talked about on our media. No I've, I've never, there se- I've never seen media. it. I don't think I've ever seen it on no. like the 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 BBC or Guardian or what's the other one, the Telegraph. Yeah. So um, this has been going on for some time. Um, I listened to a really good podcast um interview by jordan peterson with um a chap called michael yon and a lady called eva vladingerbrook i knew i knew you could say that word (laughs) well i don't i think that's how you say it anyway um and she is dutch uh michael is not um but they're both reporting from the netherlands on the farmer protests um and so Jordan Peterson was making the point that he thinks that this is like a canary in the globalist coal mine mm. issue. So it that it's really important for us to note what is going on in Holland. Um, and it should be a big red flag warning. Um, now, Holland is, uh, I mean, I know I visited Holland, one, one of the most productive countries in the world for agriculture. I think it's the second most productive really? nation in the wow. world. Okay. So they produce a lot of food, um, you know, and they don't have vast numbers of people. So a lot of it is exported. Right. OK. Um, and this is all to do, again, with the net zero agenda. Um, it's the so-called nitrogen crisis their government's narrative is that nitrogen emissions must be reduced and therefore 50% or or thereabouts of the farmers will have to go by 2030, which apparently would mean at least 30% of livestock going. Mm-hmm. And like you said, 2030 is seven years' time. So, um, I mean, there's all sorts going on there. They're, they're effectively, I mean, I don't understand quite how they're going about it, but Farmers are being put out of business. Land is being um, taken um, away from them. So, you know, understandably, there is there is 
uproar and and they are pushing back. Yeah, I mean, we've got um, today, I mean, we've had the head of JP Morgan, the CEO of JP Morgan, um, talking about, you know, oh, well, we should just take take private, you know, take over private land to build wind farms, for example. <laughs> so, I mean, well, yes, the, and, these, and these, these, these nutters are, are shameless. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, well, there are there are moves to do this, and this is happening in this country. It's yes, it is. Moving land from agricultural production in order to either cover with solar panels or um, uh, or, or to uh, so-called rewild. Yeah, with uh, that's uh, spotted newts and wolves <laughs> and things. Um, takes the land out of production. So um, and, 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 and presumably, whilst these Dutch farmers are protesting, they're not farming. Because, because when you when you look at the um, when you look at the protests, that they are essentially like a lot of tractors. Yeah. It's like it's like a tractor <laughs> festival. So yeah. if those tractors are protesting in a city or in a suburb of a city, those tractors aren't on fields actually doing what tractors should be doing. No. And no, in in the same way as when the truckers were protesting in Canada, they were not able to work. Obviously, no. they were in their truck protesting, and it's the same thing. In Holland, but then they're facing going bankrupt, yeah. losing everything. So, um, so they're uh, fighting back. Um, mm, I mean, the, interesting. The, okay. Apparently, the Dutch government. This is partly due to, due to EU regulation, mm. but the Dutch government are going, you know, above and beyond EU regulation. So, um, you know, they're making the decision themselves to to go along this. Um, pursue this agenda um and and this is all to do with the global sustainable development goals which come from the un and the world economic forum it's all it's all about top-down policy it is it is it is it is is that and i think again if if you're listening to this podcast now and you're thinking okay i don't i don't buy this it sounds again like this this might be just a theory about why the motives for for doing this would be wrong when actually we've got to do something because if we don't do something um well you know the the, the world is going to end or something dramatic like that but the farmers themselves just let them get on with it let people get on with their lives and generally speaking people will work it out Nobody, nobody has been asking for top-down help. No. It comes back to this whole thing. Nobody's been asking, as we said before, for low-traffic neighbourhoods. Nobody's been asking for um, uh, 15-minute cities or more surveillance. Nobody's, nobody's been asking for a mobile phone warning on the 23rd of April. No. That your life, in quotes, might be in danger. <laughs> I mean, it's just... But this this is the world in which we live, and this this yeah the far, the Dutch farmer situation is worth paying attention to because they are yeah the canaries in the gold mine yeah what what else yeah. about that? Well, I think um, the other thing to be aware of um, because you, you may not be um, you know I assume people know of course why would you know necessarily what um, farmers in Holland are like but they're very um, they're very efficient. They they really know what they're doing. They you know so in terms of their use of nitrogen, mm. they are probably more efficient than almost any other farmers in the world. So you know the amount of food they're able to produce, you know using a certain amount of nitrogen will be more than probably anywhere else. So so if you if that is your issue, you're not going to go for them first, and because they are they are feeding 
you know, a vast number of people in the world. Mm. But but I don't think that's that's doesn't seem to be important, does it? No. Feeding vast numbers of people, I don't think is is important. This lady, Eva, she says it's a war of attrition against the farmers and it's about control of the land. Yes control yes. of resources, control of food supply, and therefore control of the people. Yeah. yeah. And and the farmers are a problem because they are independent businesses who who won't comply. They're hardworking. They have traditional values. They represent the traditional Dutch spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they are many of them are family businesses going back generations. So she says it's an attack on the very identity of dutch society and that's what's under attack and i think that's why it's it's causing you know these these great big protests which are, um, my understanding is they have quite a lot of public support i'm not 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 surprised and and that that makes so much sense what you say and 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 when 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 one is looking at a situation like this you do have to take a big picture view you have to recognize that um the attrition is a slow but steady thing and you've got to understand how important that is in affecting change change doesn't necessarily happen overnight you might okay you might have a a very dramatic event which can affect that but generally speaking change change moves at a slower pace so it makes it harder to spot but that's the that's what we're trying to do with this podcast we're trying to encourage you know you who's listening to this to to keep looking for the signs and so that by understanding how the world works, you can have a better grasp of what's actually going on, which I think is so, is so important. I mean, you know Clarkson's Farm. If you've yeah. you've seen some of that, I'm sure some of our listeners have, have watched that. That that's that is a, a great example of of just the nutty levels of bureaucracy and nonsense that farmers face in in this country to simply grow food or raise and sell livestock so that we can essentially eat <laughs> and you you come away with the conclusion that the government wants to make farming as difficult and as unprofitable and as soul destroying as possible that's the only reasonable conclusion you can come to isn't it helen i mean i'm not a farmer but that's that's a conclusion i'd come to yeah, I mean, what you were just talking about, about the attrition and the over a period of time. I mean, certainly I could talk for quite a long time about that and how that's been happening in this country. Mm. Um, and many people are not aware of that. No, no. But it's uh, it's important that we're recognising what is happening before it's too late. For Since, since God created men and women you know man mankind has desired to own land has desired to have their own patch of the ground which is theirs which belongs to them which allows them to do with it as they please invariably that would mean growing food raising livestock providing for the family that's the deal that's what's wired into us and this is what these uh, globalist predators want to undo 
for whatever reason, I mean, we can come to like all sorts of probably reasonable reasons as to why they're doing this, but that's that's what it feels like, and well, it's what it is actually. Um, but if you don't believe us, well, sit back, observe, and see what happens, because time, I think, will prove this to be the case, won't it, Helen? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think what you say about that, um, what's inbuilt in our nature is very true. And it's why so many people love gardening. You know, people love their gardens. It's mm. that same same sort of thing, isn't it? And yeah. Most people who do love their garden, and I'm one of them, wouldn't be very happy if the government came along and said, well, I'm sorry, but that's not acceptable anymore. That's not what I want you to grow. That's not how I want you to do it. And actually, it'd be better for the environment if you... Uh, remove those flower patches there, please. I'd like you to, I think the best thing for the environment would be to have some big tanks of algae because that would create lots of oxygen or, you know, something like that. Absurd. (laughs) Or we'll take your garden from you because we will do it ourselves. Thank you very much. And yes, yeah. You can buy the produce from us. Yeah. You you see, if, 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 if we, if we had a, if we have had a government, a world government, if you like, that was encouraging things like people to be resilient, to to be able to be as much as is possible self-sufficient, for the family to thrive. If we had a government to do, that, that did those things, let's say, well, yeah, wouldn't that be great? And and then perhaps, then perhaps the 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 accusation of of kind of oh you can't you can't say something bad about the government might might hold some uh, hold some merit, but the reality is it's the opposite that's happening. The family is being undermined at every single turn. Um, land is being swallowed up by corporations, and people are not being uh, given responsibility for themselves they're not being encouraged to be self-sufficient they're being encouraged to be um what's the word um reliant upon the state and this is why we firmly believe that um yeah the the signs are not great shall we move on or do you want to yeah. add anything else on that one no, that's okay, really just just a uh, just a little 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 touch back on old Jacinda Ardern. Although she's, in fairness, she's she's not that old. Do you remember when she said this? People who are vaccinated will still get COVID nineteen. Um, it just means that they won't get sick and they and they won't die. Do you remember that, Helen? She she said that people who get COVID-19, they won't get sick and they won't die. That was Jacinda Ardern, the former New Zealand Prime Minister. That's um, because because they've been vaccinated. That's because they've vac- been vaccinated, yeah. So so that that was that was a lie that she was uh, clearly peddling there. And and the reason we're paying that playing that is because the the whole kind of vaccine uh thing hasn't gone away uh sadly uh we would not expect it to go away but what we're seeing is a lot of uh, a lot of the like the the narrative in the mainstream shifting a little 
um, we're, we're seeing people coming out now and saying, well, you know, like, like this particular uh, doctor uh, in America who, uh, who said this, said during COVID, those of us on, on the good guy team wanted interventions like vaccines, lockdowns, masks, etc. to work so badly that whenever there was any inkling that they might, we pounced on that and promoted it zealously. We saw anyone who criticised these interventions as trying to hurt people, since what harm could they do compared with the benefit? And this is what I think we are seeing now, people coming back saying, well, you know, we were trying to do the right thing. The reality was that we all had access to the same information, didn't we, Helen? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, doctors, for example should know better in terms of medical interventions. And again, it's about thinking about where does this lead? What's the trajectory we're on? Where does this end up? And lo and behold, we've seen lockdowns were unnecessary and a disaster in every shape and form. We see masks are totally and utterly useless. And again, of course, lots of issues. And of course, sadly, we've seen that the vaccine doesn't work, it doesn't stop you getting COVID, doesn't stop you transmitting COVID, doesn't stop you dying from COVID, doesn't stop you ending up in hospital. And sadly, it does cause or can cause um, serious injury or death. And now we're faced with this reality that is becoming more apparent each day. And many people are trying to scrape together some semblance of uh, respectability when actually they sided with tyranny. Um, we saw that with uh, Piers Morgan, uh, didn't we, when he was on the on a podcast, which I won't name because, um, well, I won't bother naming it. But yeah, many of you will have heard it where he just, you know, he talks about the science changing, got people like Julia Hartley Brewer uh, from Talk Radio, Who's um, who's trying to kind of get some get some credibility back, and um, she's been ousted for that. And I think it, it, it's I think from a Christian point of view, Helen, this this is this is a challenge, isn't it? Because it's easy, I think, to it's easy to want to point the finger at other people, isn't it? And we have covered this in our in a previous podcast, but just very briefly. It's it's important that responsibility is taken for decisions, and as I think it's important as Christians, we recognise where mistakes were have been made in order that we don't make the same mistakes again. Because there will be there will be an opportunity for people and for Christians to partake in tyranny, and we've got to help one another not to do that. Because sadly, we did partake in tyranny with the last three years, some of us. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and and people like, you know, like Piers Morgan and the like, who who, are, who aren't apologising. They're not really saying they're sorry, especially when they had such great influence. You know, speaking to millions, being on the radio or the television, um, and putting enormous pressure on to people to uh, take a medical procedure mm. that may or may not have been good for them, but they're not they're not apologising. They're just saying, "Oh, the oh, science wow. changed." Well, we didn't know <laughs> back then. We didn't know. Yeah. 
And and every time they say that, I'm like, well, you could have known. You could have just looked. Because exactly, yes. The, the information was there. And right from the very beginning, there was information really quickly on what was going on, on who was genuinely at risk. Um, and there were warnings about the vaccine before they even came out about um, how quickly they were being developed. Um yeah. So, it, yeah. These, the, you know, people like you know, Julie Harley Brewer, Piers Morgan, others, and um, that that um, doctor I, I quoted, that they, they, they've essentially sided with expediency. They, they've they've gone they've gone with what they think actually inside. This is going to help me keep my job, keep my livelihood, keep keep what I what I want, and and that's the wrong question to be asking in a situation. And it's understandable, actually, to think that. It's completely understandable. Because I would think the same thing, but it's still the wrong question. The question to ask is, what's right? What's the truth? Where's the truth in this? And to yeah. do as much as we're able to in discerning what that is and trying to follow after that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've also just seen today, and we the COVID jab for, what is it, six months to four-year-olds at risk group? They're, they're yeah, going to be pushing so that again in, yeah. what, later this year? So well, it hasn't JC- gone away. No, it hasn't. The JCVI apparently have just um, said that the jabs can be given, I think for the first time to children that young, um, who are in at-risk groups, which includes um, children with heart problems and children with compromised immune systems, um, which is a particular worry when one of the m- major side effects from these vaccines is heart damage and um, the potential for compromising the immune system. Mm, yeah, yes. And, and still, of course, not a scooby-doo as to what the long-term effects of this novel technology are in relation to a vaccine. Well, it's not a vaccine, is it? It's a, I don't know what you call it, a jab. Let's call it that because that's the least accurate. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, not great. Uh, very, very briefly, just just touch on Ukraine, just because obviously that is a, that's something to be uh, praying for the the people of Ukraine, especially Christians in that country who are facing difficult circumstances, challenging situations. We're seeing actually the some of the Orthodox Church in Ukraine being persecuted by their own government, which is a bit uh, a, a bit of a, a bit of an eye opener. Uh, it's not. It tends to be how it works, it would seem, is that, again, in the mainstream news, and I know some people don't like this term, but but the mainstream news is any, any you know, Telegraph, Daily Mail, Guardian, Independent, Spectator, you know, what's the other ones? Um, <laughs> the Sun, the BBC, mustn't forget the BBC, Any anything that's just like there in your face, you know, Channel 4 News, that kind of thing. If you're not seeing Ukraine in the news, it seems that when we don't see it in the mainstream news, it's because things in Ukraine aren't going particularly well. And and again, there's some interesting stories like the Nord Stream pipeline, which was blown up. And originally when that, when that happened, it was like, oh, the Russians have done this. And it was like, well, at the time you're thinking, well, that would be ridiculous for the Russians to do, to do that. Why would they do that? Because it's a source of income to them. Um, and that was a story that was that was peddled early on. Uh, but there was a, an interesting interesting report published by a chap called Seymour Hirsch, who uh, this report was published in February that alleged that actually uh, the, the United States ordered the, the bombings. Uh, but what adds um, 
to that is that the UN Security Council voted um, um, recently, uh, I think it was last week, against a Russian effort to get an independent investigation into the bombings of the Nord Stream natural gas pipelines that connect Russia to Germany. So, yep, there you go. The truth is seem to be um, seem to be uh, buried there under the sea, as it were. Uh, and and interestingly, I think going back to our friend the BBC, I don't think we'll see a, them ever do a fact as one of their in quotes fact checks when a report comes from Zelensky's government. But of course, they'll just take that as, as face value. But if anything else comes on a counter narrative, they'll 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 fact check it. And and by the way, just to be clear here, we're we're not we're not we're not taking sides here. So don't think, please don't think, oh, we're we're sort of pro-Russia, anti-Ukraine. That's not what we're doing at all. What we're doing is is actually highlighting the 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 fact, the truth that what is reported in our media is not the truth. And um, I think, if nothing else, that reminds us how important it is to pray for the people of that country and pray for peace, because yeah. that's what we need, isn't it, Helen? We need peace. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the other things that we're not being told about is the vast numbers of Ukrainian soldiers being no. killed. We're, well, we're told lies. Lines. We're told lies about that, actually, I yeah. think, aren't we? But it's a yeah. tragic, tragic number and, by and actual accounts that, that matter. Yeah. They're ill-equipped and poorly trained, just becoming cannon fodder. Uh, yeah, just awful. Yeah, yeah, no, it is awful. It is awful. So do be praying for Ukraine, particularly be praying for Christians there because they've got a really, really tough situation. And I'm sure, you know, it's, it's a country that is culturally divided in the sense, you know, there's Russians and Ukrainians their Russian origin, Ukrainian origin, and it's a um, it's been a bit of a melting pot, and I'm sure that's been a challenging thing for families. So yeah, do be keeping them in your prayer. But when you see something in the news, um, yeah, don't necessarily believe it at face value because it it might not be true. Um, so bring this kind of this podcast, this hour long podcast, which we've gone slightly over, um, in, into land. I think one of the things that has just become clear, and trying to tie this over, tie tie this up a little bit, is the fact that as as Christians, it seems that if we if we give an inch, we actually lose a mile, and I think we've lost way too much ground generally speaking, by allowing discussion on topics which should not be up for discussion. So, for example, on gender or sexuality or, or marriage, for um, as an example of that. Um, you know, you'll hear things like people say, well, could you, could you actually define what you mean when you refer to the gospel? Because they might say, well, there's many, uh, many people who are not ashamed of, of the good news of salvation, through Christ, but uh, would be ashamed of a strict interpretation of the whole Bible. And you think, okay, well, if that's if that's the view that's being held, then it's it's little wonder that we've got the challenges that we have, because if we don't see the Bible as the the inerrant Word of God, it's it's going to cause us problems and i think we've often crippled ourselves by not sticking to the truth that the that the word of god is true um does that make sense helen do you think yeah it does make sense and i think it comes from from that arrogance that's part of 
un, unfortunately, the fallen human nature where we think we know better than God. Mm. Yeah. And and that's why we rebel against God. And, and sadly, even people who call themselves Christians do that. I mean, we all do that to some extent. But if you're if you're not going to hold to the truths in the Bible and you think you know better, you know better than God, then... Yeah, it, 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 that's that's yeah. we we make a rod for our own own back. Um, I mean, there's something called the um, Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, and and it says this. I thought I'm going to read it out because it's quite good. It's, it's, it's pretty short. It says, "God, who is who is Himself truth and speaks truth only, has inspired Holy Scripture in order thereby to reveal Himself to lost mankind through Jesus Christ as Creator and Lord, Redeemer and Judge. Holy Scripture is God's witness to Himself. Holy Scripture, being God's own word, written by men, prepared and superintendent by His Holy by His Spirit, is of infallible divine authority in all matters upon which it touches. It is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it affirms, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. The Holy Spirit, Scripture's divine author, both authenticates it to us by his inward witness and opens our minds to understand its meaning. Being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all its teaching, no less in what it states about God's acts in creation, about the events of world history, and about its own literacy origins under God, than in its witness to God's saving grace in individual lives. The authority of Scripture is inescapably impaired if this total divine inerrancy is in any way limited or disregarded or made relative to a view of truth contrary to the Bible's own, and such lapses bring serious loss to both the individual and the church. I think that's excellent, and I, I think I would ask the question, how many churches today would actually stand by that statement? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that is a very interesting question. It is an interesting question. It's not one um, I can necessarily, at this point in time, answer wholeheartedly um, for churches that uh, I have certainly been a part of. Um, but you know, I think we have to. We have to be. This is about looking to what the the key things are about just we've we, if we're going to be able to get through this life sticking close to Christ and making it to the end of the race we've got to accept some foundational truths and one of them is is that God's word is infallible we can trust it it's truth sometimes it might be hard to understand absolutely sometimes we have to dig deep totally but it, we've got to just accept that we do that. And, and, and we're, we've also got to be okay with the fact that we might not get everything right first time. In fact, we, we often will make mistakes. I make mistakes. I know I do. So, yeah, I think that's that's really, really important. I mean, uh, the chap um, Grant Castlebury said this recently. He says, once you give up on the inerrancy of Scripture as defined as the complete truthfulness of the Bible, you are done. 
as a ministry, church, seminary or Bible college. Once inerrancy is abandoned, there is then no objective standard for truth. Pagan ideas and worldviews are introduced and accepted. Spiritual declination becomes inevitable. The biblical gospel is ultimately lost. Biblical inerrancy must be a hill to die on. And I would agree with him on yeah. that one. And and sadly, you know, we've we've seen we see this in the church. You know, we see we see stuff like eco church and and you know praying for the environment and all this sort of stuff. And that has no place in the church. I don't think it's not up there with proclaiming the gospel of Christ Jesus. Mm. Well, at least it doesn't seem to me to be that from reading my Bible. Let's put it that way. And that, by that. <laughs> I'm not don't you know don't go don't go down the deep end of the other extreme and say oh well you know Tim's saying the environment doesn't matter I'm not saying that at all but what I'm saying is that the gospel is very clear about saving men and women's souls from an eternity lost and pointing them to the cross of Christ which can save them which is Helen a good place to land isn't it it is I've spoken a lot do you want it do you want it do you want to do you want to land the plane because people would be bored of my voice by this point oh no well I'm just a bit worried um next door's dog is starting to bark oh. which um apologies for that oh, I can't hear, can it. hear it no I can't <laughs> um yeah well just just thinking about really the most important place to to end as we're approaching Easter is is the hope of Easter isn't it um so I, I was thinking about the the reality of Good Friday, the the cost of our sin and rebellion against God, which led Jesus to the cross. Um, and then, of course, the hope of Easter Sunday with the resurrection and victory over death. Um, and our hope must be in Jesus and in what he has done for us and in what he is going to do and that reminder that Jesus is coming back. Mm. Um, and and our, our hope must not be in net zero or governments or vaccines or leaders or or the identities that the world has to offer, but our hope must be in Jesus um, and and his return. Yes. Yeah. Come soon, Lord Jesus. That's the prayer, isn't it? That is the prayer. Yeah. Uh, amen to that. Do you want to finish it? Have you got a Bible verse to finish this with? Yeah, I have, actually. Um, I thought I'd read um, the bit from Philippians chapter 2, which is talking about um, Christ's humility. Uh, and so um, I'll read from verse 6. So talking about Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm. Amen.
Right. Well, that's that's a good place to end on, isn't it? Yeah. Awesome. Always a good place to end. Yeah. Always a good place. Well, look, thank you very much for listening. Um, please do uh, share this podcast with anybody you think it might uh, encourage um, or, 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 or perhaps with people you want to, you know, help them question things a little bit more because at the end of the day we're, we're not we're not out to change people's minds but we are out to hopefully encourage and point people to truth and encourage and help others realize the importance of discernment and and the the key part that plays as we seek to walk with christ and how that fits in with with what's happening in the world so it's a good it's if it's if it's useful for that please do share it with people that you would think would be helpful if you've got any questions for us you've got any comments any feedback then do get in touch as ever if you really want to get in touch with, touch with us you will be able to do that um we've got uh, the various links to various places on the link tree which you can find on the podbean uh website uh got helen's Substack on there uh, you can you can actually buy us a coffee, can't you? If you really want to, which would be yeah, nice. For, I, I keep forgetting can, about uh, that. Yeah, so you can buy us a coffee, and I think you can leave um, messages on there as well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and have I missed anything? I think no. Oh, there's a te- there's a Telegram I'm group which we run, which you're very welcome to join if you want to. We, we don't we don't bombard loads of things on that, but we just share occasional things we think are interesting. Uh, but yeah, we we are still we're working on a, a another. We keep saying this, I know, but we are we are working on another, hopefully, a slightly different podcast, which will probably be the next one now, I guess. Um, but we'll put more details about that in the next time. Anyway, I will stop waffling on and leave it there. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Yep. Bye. The Owl and the Badger.